I don't think I've had, to be honest, I've seen worse set of macro um, indicators and economic indicators in years. Welcome to Wealthion. I'm Wealthion founder Adam Taggart. The U.S. has a debt problem. It's grown its debt far faster than the national income for decades. Over time, this has ballooned the annual fees and interest that the U.S. must pay to service its debt. And the recent sharp increase in interest rates is only making these debt service payments more onerous. To add insult to injury, America has once again hit the limit of its debt ceiling. Until that gets raised, which we all know will require months of political theater, the situation will only become more dire. What will the repercussions be? How are things likely to get resolved? And what impact will it all have for the markets? To answer these questions, we welcome back market analyst Gordon Long to the program. Gordon, thanks so much for joining us today. Adam, thank you very much for having me. I enjoyed our last couple of conversations. Oh, same here. Always a pleasure, Gordon. Uh, the audience obviously enjoyed your earlier ones too, so they're excited you're back too. A uh, number of questions for you, particularly around some of your recent reports that you've issued. But um, let me just start at a high level with a question I like to ask at the beginning of our discussions here. What's your current assessment of the global economy and financial markets? Uh, worrying. But then I guess I guess as an investor, you're always worried. And whatever you think is about to happen takes longer, longer to come. But we, the, I, I don't think I've had, to be honest, I've seen worse set of macro um, indicators and economic indicators in years. Uh, but, they, but that doesn't mean that it can't sustain itself for a series of, of time, a period of time. And trust me, the government is as busy as it can be uh, trying to do that specifically, uh, frankly, uh, Janet Yellen versus, uh, versus Powell. But they're, they're busy and they're holding and they're doing a remarkable job to give the devil due of, of keeping things afloat. And as you can, you know, looking at the market now, we're starting to push north of 4,200 on the S&P. We thought that was a market high. Maybe, but um, we, we, we got the, when I look at the financial conditions index right now, which is loosening, loosening. And that's a shocker. It's just bringing people into the market and then fear of, of uh, missing out takes over. And, uh, and, and we just keep going higher, but it won't last. That's the bottom line. It won't last. Okay. Um, oh, that's a great jumping off point. It won't last. Um, we'll dig into that in depth in this discussion here. Um, Please. I, you know, I, I, I have... Wealthion has endorsed financial advisors that we have on this channel every week so that people can see how, you know, somebody who has to manage client capital is, is thinking on a week to week basis. And one of them, Lance Roberts, just said over the weekend that this is one of the most challenging, if not the most challenging uh, time to be a portfolio manager that he can recall in his career. So that sort of echoes some of your concerns. And it's interesting because, as I've been saying a lot, um, you know, technically, the markets are looking really bullish here in the short term. Um, but, uh, you know, fundamentally, if you look at the macro data, it, it looks pretty terrible and getting worse, right? There's a real disconnect between how the markets are behaving right now and, and just what the macro data is telling us. Um, so I want to dig into all that with you here. Um, if we can, yeah, as a jump. It's, a good, it's important to because we've, we have never had such a disconnect between the actual realities of the economics and how the market is now performing on the surface. And so if you're a, a money manager, 
you're pulling your hair out because it, nothing, all your old rules are not making any sense. And of course, you've got to perform um, or you're going to lose, uh, you're going to have redemptions. So it's a catch-22. And usually that's the beginnings of the end because you're forced in. And as you're forced in, suddenly the rug is pulled out historically. The, the question here is just how long do we go before the rug's pulled out and what will trigger the pulling out of the rug? And the answer to that, you have to understand why it's realistically going up. All right, great. And, and you are someone who has seen a lot of market cycles. So you've sort of seen this play out of, of uh, you know, a disconnect between markets and reality and uh, putting words in your mouth. So correct me if, if these are wrong, but but ultimately you generally see that reality wins out in the end, but there tends oh. to be a progression and, and you have to understand that progression because if you plan for reality at the beginning, you know, you very well may get your face ripped off along the way while the market remains irrational longer than most can imagine. You can be assured of that. And yeah. that, that's, okay. what's, that's what's going on right now, that irrationality. Um, that doesn't mean that it won't sustain itself and, 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 and could go much longer than anybody even believe. It always goes longer than you can see, you can believe. So, you, so the question is, do you stay out of it? Do you, do you go early on the short? <laughs> but, you know, can you stay liquid long enough? Um, and those are the big questions. I, frankly, we're investors first and foremost, uh, Adam. So uh, we, we don't chase the last 5% of the top or the bottom. We wait until it happens. We'll give that up, call it investment, and then we catch the trend. And this trend is still up. This trend is still up. There's nothing that says this trend has begun to reverse. If anything, it's strengthening, but it will reverse. And then when it starts to accelerate to the downside, that's when we get in. So we we don't play this. We don't play this game. The key the key again is to know what would trigger the reversal. Okay, what what are the key factors you have to look at to kind of understand what will what will cause the reversal? Again, it goes back to what's driving it up right now. Okay, and that 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 is the great question to start with. So I want to let folks know we we are going to get in the discussion here too. Okay, what to do about this as an investor, and we'll talk about specific strategies. I'll ask Gordon how he's positioning right now. But sure. but Gordon, let's look at the potential triggers that could puncture the euphoria uh, and begin to bring reality back into the situation. And in my intro, um, I mentioned a big potential one, which is debt. And so I'd love to get your thoughts on this because you just recently issued a, a, a great report about the coming conflict over the debt ceiling, but just in general, you know, as I mentioned, um, there's there's now over 31 trillion in just federal debt that's out there. Um, the sharp rise in interest rates has really spiked the debt service fees that the government has to, to pay basically before it can then fund the rest of the government budget, right? And, um, you know, there are charts out there that are showing, you know, the the, the interest payments uh, that the government is making really beginning to spike now in response to the, the hike in interest rates. Um, how, how bad did the latest numbers on debt service look? I mean, how concerning an issue is this? It's always been concerning. It's nothing new that way, but it, it, it's, it's at the, the breaking point. Let me, let me be specific on that. We, we've just pushed out um, in terms of debt here in 12 months, or maybe maybe a little longer if I want to go back uh, to the America Rescue Plan. But, you know, between somewhere between six and seven and a half trillion dollars. We just put through an omnibus bill for, what, 1.7? 
we've got the Inflation uh, Re uh, Reduction Act was, I don't know, 740 billion. The CHIPS, 280 billion. Infrastructure bill, uh, 1.2 trillion. Uh, that rescue plan was somewhere between 1.9 and 3.5. I can just keep on going, but we're spending on Ukraine. We have never put this much money into an economy um, and, uh, th than ever before. And so we've pushed up the debt ceiling. Or two, we've right, we're effectively going through that debt ceiling in a big way because a lot of that money we haven't yet haven't yet. Uh, I was going to say we we actually can't fully fund all that yet because the debt ceiling well, has to be raised to enable that, right? Exactly, exactly the point. We we've authorized it. A big chunks of it are being spent because that's why we're right at the debt ceiling uh, right now, and has forced Janet Yellen to implement extraordinary actions. And so, so you know, what's, this is this is going to be as big a fight for this debt ceiling as we potentially we've ever seen, potentially. Um, though there's a little bit of of, of gamesmanship that's that, that's really going on because we've just had a significant change in the Congress. Uh, we have a Republican. We I don't know if you witnessed the um, the election of the Speaker of the House we went, went with 14, 15 rounds. And then eventually just saw, I don't mean to get political, but we saw um, uh, the Freedom Caucus, uh, a group take over it with some very, very strong, hard money, uh, fiscal budget restraints to be put in place. So it's, it, it's, it'll be a protracted kind of period that we're going to go through to come up with a resolution of what that's going to be. You can be assured they will increase the debt ceiling. And the goal here. Um, will come in that they'll go, they're going to agree to some budget, a pull in the spending, probably extend the debt ceiling for two years. Maybe they concede four to five, six percent of this year's spending of all of that money. So we shouldn't be worried about that. What we should be worried about, thinking about, is the game that's going on behind the scene. And that's that one of the reasons I put that particular report out that you're you're mentioning, Adam, is it's the there's, there's always more going on in the government that every that anybody's aware. And so what's happening here is Janet Yellen in the Treasury, and she's been playing a lot of games here to help Powell. Remember, she was the former chairman of the Federal Reserve herself. So so the, the two, and he was at the Treasury before. So they they both know each other's jobs and roles and how things really work very, very well. So it's what, what Yellen has been trying to do is buy time for the inflation rate to come down to something that's manageable, to allow Powell to increase the rates up until we get to about a 5% terminal rate thereabouts. With the 25 now, we're very close, getting close to that. But just push it out so that inflation comes down. And she had to buy time and she's done a good job. But now, how do, how do we buy some more time here? And, and so what, what's, what we have to understand is with the debt ceiling, she can't issue any more debt. She can issue some short-term bills, but she can't issue notes and, and bonds. So what that does is because they're spending down what they call the TGA, and I don't mean to get technical, but it's important for you to understand what's going on in the market and why it's going up and therefore why it'll come down. So they're, they're pushing money out through the, um, through the TGA, general general account, of, of spending, but they're not financing it. They're spending it down. That's still keeping liquidity going into the economy, but they're not issuing any notes or bonds. And what that's doing is it's driving up the price of the bonds uh, because there's a shortage of them. Look at the recent auctions. It pushes down the interest rate. So it's, hold, it's been holding down rates at the same time we've had this problem. And that's what's 
dramatically loosening, I mentioned earlier, the, the financial conditions index. And so as that financial conditions index come down, it is just, it, it's a license to chase the market. And that's what's going on. And it's just it's overextended it uh, quite significantly. And it could be protracted out here because as you well know, for the last two or three years, the market has just mapped perfectly the expansion of the Fed's balance sheet. And what this is doing, it's actually almost dollar for dollar offsetting the reduction in the quantitative tightening that's going on every month as we've been reducing it. And so it, 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 they've got it set so it's a balancing act. So it's a license to print money right now, effectively, and get into the market. I didn't mean to be long-winded, but that's a bit of it. It's going, it's going to end, though. Okay, They're buying time, hoping that inflation, which is coming down, um, gets down low enough that they can then stop the rates and we'll get a, a, a soft landing. And everything would look like there's a possibility of getting a soft uh, getting a soft landing. My opinion, not going to happen. A soft landing that is, it's going to be a brutally hard landing. But it's going to be later than everybody currently thinks. And we'll go All into right. a very major deflationary push um, as as it comes in. The other thing that's holding it up is, um, you know, I've written extensively about stagflation, where you get high um, high inflation, you get low growth. But you also need a third thing, and it's called unemployment. And we haven't been seeing the layoffs, bankruptcies, et cetera, that you tip the media plays on, and they haven't been playing on that. And so when we start to see the unemployment numbers really showing is when it'll start to, the market will start to really fall. Okay. And, and I'm guessing you're saying there's a yet in that. We haven't been seeing those layoffs and job losses yet, but it sounds like you expect them to come. That's another thing we have to pay attention to. They're actually happening. They're actually, I just read here a few minutes ago, the Dell's laying off 6,500, 6,600 people. And, you know, there was a day when, you know, 40,000, 60,000, we got into back in 2008. That's what we'd see. But we live in a different world and we always seem to, it's like fighting the last war with the old equipment. This new, we're in a different war today. And so for example, the question is, what is that layoffs at Dell as a percentage of their total employment? Well, it's 5%. Well, just a minute, when we went through in 2008, that's all we were laying off too. That, that, that is a huge amount because companies have downsized so tightly that now to take off any number of people is a big deal. So an example, Wolf Richter did a great study of, of this. He went through 102 com companies in the Silicon Valley in only three counties and all of them were, had layoffs. 102 companies doing layoffs in just three counties. But if you go through them all, they're 50, 100, 140, nothing to write home about, right? Mm -mm. 8%, 12, 20% of their total employment base. This is, and they're high paying jobs. These are the jobs that can afford the rents, afford the houses, um, up, up scale that really slows an economy. So it's happening, but it's not getting any visibility. And, you know, we just had layoffs at Microsoft, you know, at 15 to 20,000. We've seen it at Amazon, I think around 18,000. We've seen it at, face, at Facebook around, I don't know, 10 to 12,000. Those are about as big as you can get, and they're considered small, but they're, they have massive impacts to these companies, and now we're seeing their ability to deliver. Because when you lay off these, when you're laying off these people, 
you may not be saving vast amounts of money in, on the employment line, but you're crippling the company. You're, you're take, you're, it's no longer fat, you're taking out bone. And so you're seeing people, the company's cutting major quarters, uh, corners and not being able to perform anymore. And that's what we're watching. And, that, and when it, then we go to the next step, you'll start to see actual bankruptcies or takeovers. And it'll be a different way, but it, we see it's unfolding right now and will accelerate through June, July. Okay, so this is a, a, a drum that wealthy on viewers know that I've been banging really for almost all of 2022 and, and clearly into this year as well, sort of warning about exactly this. Um, and end of the day, people don't really care uh, of, of the economists bickering over the technical definition of recession. Um, what they care about is, is, is my job safe? Do I still have it, right? And the the worry about that hadn't really been that strong in 2022, but I think rounding into 2023, I think more and more people are beginning to see exactly what you're talking about, Gordon, and, and that concern is beginning to grow. And then, of course, when it gets to the point where people really start seriously worrying about their job, that's where they really uh, start constraining spending. Um, and of course, that kind of creates a bit of a vicious cycle here, which, you know, the consumer spending, which is 70% of GDP, starts impacting these companies more and they have to lay off people as a result, right? So well, that's that's the key point here. See, the United States is a 70, well, 68% consumption economy. Their closest to us is like 52%. Most countries are around 31%. So when you start, you you start, we could, Charles Hugh Smith and I uh, talked put out a video, they're talking about this being the reverse wealth effect. So when we're going to see a, a consumption crisis where they just not enough money to consume because the high paying jobs aren't there. And, and it's, it'll be, it doesn't necessarily crash, it slows and slow, and it, that slowing is happening at, a, at an accelerated rate. The consumption is a, is a, is a real problem. And it, one of the issues too is, is what is happening is, is happening at a slower rate um, than we've come to expect. And, th and that is because we've, we've left what we refer to here as the great moderation. And we've had 40 years where certain things have been happening that have now changed and stopped. And they stopped really around COVID and we call COVID the, the, the great financial shock to the system. And the three, th the three major things that we've heard about but aren't paying enough attention to is globalization has slowed and in many ways starting to reverse. Mm -hmm. But what globalization delivered was labor arbitrage, cheap commodities, and that drove down our costs. The second thing we've had is we've had financialization. And what that has been about is falling uh, rates, falling interest rates. And that has been steadily since Volcker in 1980 tapped them out at around 19% and we ended up at the zero bound. You can't go much lower than zero on nominal rates. So that is also reversed. And the third thing is, is, is mercantilism. And that is where Japan originally and China take all their money invested back into US bonds. And by doing that, they drive interest rates down, the volume of the bonds up, so you get more collateral for the bonds. Consumers can spend more money. They spend more, buy it from China, our debt goes up. China, Japan and China are masters of that, and it, it creates a stronger dollar, which has created consumption. All three of those are now reversing. And we're coming out of the other side of the moderation, of this great moderation. And, and when the bottom line of that is that we're, and, and, and this is, this is one of the things we're watching for. 
is that debt is changing and equity is changing. And by that, I mean um, high, uh, the high bond duration risk premiums are going up. So it's the pricing of risk is going up. So in bonds, it's the duration bond risk premiums are going up. You can see that. And in equity, it's the, it's the equity risk premiums that they're higher. So inflation, Adam, if you think about it, those drive inflation. So even though right now the market is going up, we're going to turn around and we're going to see a deflationary impact at the same time inflation. We're actually going to have both, but in different areas. We're going to see deflation in assets, but we're going to see inflation in everything that you need. Right. That you have to live on and you have to pay cash to that you don't finance. It's tough to finance your grocery bills. It's hard to finance your your uh, your gas churches. They want they want a credit card or they want um, and they want cash and finance our credit cards. And look what's going on with that. The revolving credit is through the roof. Credit uh, credit managers are tightening it in, are, are very much tightening it right now. Nothing I'm not telling you, I'm not telling you anything I don't think any of your viewers don't fully appreciate, but it's, it's trying to put it into context as an investor that you can make some money on it, right? Right, right. Well, and what you're picking out are, are like, um tailwinds or forces of nature right they're, they're, they're just happening whether we yep. like them agree with them or not right and so he's an investor happening yeah so what you need to do as an investor and say if that is the trend how do i then use it to my advantage um versus getting run over by it um so fantastic articulation of those key trends i want to just add a, 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 some maybe tactical observations to them which are um, you said this is, you know, sort of the the is playing out a little bit more slowly for some of the reasons you mentioned, um, and that you expect. Correct me if I'm wrong, but you expect kind of the the layoff situation, the the rolling over of the markets at some point, the slowing of the economy. Um, it's something that's going to kind of build up steam, right, as we go further from here. Yes. Um, and one of the reasons why it's also, I think, moving a little bit more slowly than historic um, similar periods is. We still have some of the stimulus pig going through the Python here. Um, I found a chart. I, I'll see if I can find it and put it up here, if, if I can go back and find it. But it was some calculations done a few months back that showed that the, the excess in savings that uh, consumer uh, bank accounts received as a result of all the stimulus will pretty much be gone by around June, by end of Q2 of this year, right? And we still have... The student loan moratorium, I mean, there's still some shreds, a number of states still have like eviction moratorium in place or whatnot. So there's there's still some of these pandemic era protections that are in place that are going to be at some point getting removed later this year as well as, as those um, remaining excess savings go or, you know, get, get fully spent. Um, at the same time, you, you you said you and Charles were talking and you, 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 you talked about it as um, the negative wealth effect, right? Um, yes. Another really important part of the negative wealth effect is what's happening in the housing market, right? Because as I like to point out, housing is much more widely owned across the U.S. than stocks are, right? It's like 90% of all financial assets are owned by the top 10 uh, households. So yeah, everybody watches what happens in the stock market, but it doesn't really impact the daily life of the average American all that much. Because for them, in most cases, their house is their biggest asset. Well, if they see their house price, housing prices in their area losing 20 plus percent or whatever, 
that's really going to have a dampening effect from a negative wealth effect. And that's going to be further um, crimping of consumer spending and consumer willingness to get out there and spend. You're, you're sort of nodding as I'm saying all this. There's, oh, yeah. there's one other thing I want to add, and then I'll let you respond to all this, is um, a topic that Charles um, mentioned 12 years ago when I first started reading him was debt saturation, which is um, th there's there's comes a point at which consumer balance sheets just can't take on any more debt, right? You mentioned the the, the fast increase we're seeing in, in revol sorry, revolving consumer credit right now, credit cards, et cetera. You get to a point where the consumer just can't take on any more debt, either because by taking on any more debt, they're not going to be able to pay their existing debt payments, or the creditors just cut them off, <laughs> just saying, you've got too much debt, I'm not going to give you any more, right? And there's a good question about how close are we coming to that? level right now. Um, and paired with that is the cost of living, right? You, you talked about we're entering this, this era where we're likely to see um, a deflation in asset prices um, and the things that we wish were going up. And we're going to see inflation in the, the inputs for living, the things that we wish were going down, right? So we're going to be getting increasingly squeezed in that. And um, uh, I think anybody that's lived through the past year has really felt that, right? 2022 was all about asset prices coming down and and the cost for everything, food, fuel, um, housing, everything uh, went up by double digits um, in certain cases, even more than that. Um, but where I'm going with this is, is I have seen a lot of people um, in discussions here on Wealthion, in my Twitter feed, et cetera, where they've said, look, you know, I went to the store and bought a sandwich at my local sandwich shop, and it was 19 bucks for a turkey sandwich and a you know side salad or whatever, right? We're, we're getting to this point where people are just saying, I'm done. I'm not paying this stuff anymore. It's that it's gotten painful enough where I'm getting into the substitution phase, right? Where I'm just not going to purchase the way that I used to. And I'm either going to go without, or I'm going to downshift to a much more cheap substitute. And I think that's going to have a lot more impact on the economy than most people are expecting, right now where people are literally because they're hitting debt saturation or they're just hitting like, I'm just not going to pay that freaking ridiculous price anymore. They're tightening their purse strings and that is going to impact consumer spending. Right on exactly what's going on. People are buying food at Target's, Walgreens, Walmart's. They're not buying at mainstream markets, uh, groceries as much. They're not buying brands. They're buying um, major brands or buying smaller brands. Uh, less well-known, the stores, brands, et cetera. It's all part of that being able to squeeze because, you know, they have to pay for something they need. They finance what they want or dream of. And so uh, the issue is they're, they're already doing that, 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 that real squeeze on the consumer that's that's going to accelerate. It's what's going to hit is when their, their credit starts to really squeeze them and the credit being the financials. Those, uh, those credit cards that, I, that I, I mentioned earlier. But what's happening underneath this is, is that we need, we, the, the, we will fall into a recession historically. A close friend of mine, Richard Duncan, right? And he's worked at the IMF, World Bank, very familiar with this, has something that he calls his liquidity um, index. And what it, what it basically says, we're not creating credit at two, net credit at 2% per year on an annualized real rate we are in a, we fall into a recession and we're well well below this and have been sustained for for a period of time now it we re, the real rate has um uh, of credit has, is just not large enough so what what it's saying is we're not we don't have the ability 
to we're not increasing credit at a fast enough rate in the United States to merit to support the GDP that we need, or we fall into true true stagflation. And the the problem behind that is the worry about collateral. And as you mentioned on housing, what what, what brought housing down in two thousand eight was when the prices of the houses started to fall. All of a sudden. Uh, PMIs, private mortgage insurance, were up, or you had to add more money. You couldn't do it. Down went the prices. Well, now we're seeing, you know, the average, uh, I forget how many, the truck, uh, one out of four vehicles now is over $1,000 a month. So the, the biggest issue is the collection agents picking up these high-priced tripe trucks and, and, and vehicles priced at this because the collateral is the issue. So the credit market is really right now worried about the stability of the consumer's not ability to lend more, but is the current collateral that they're using a strong enough? Big part of that is they're assuming certain wages are, are, are sustained. That's an old problem. It's been with us for a, a long period of time. But at an economic level, why it why it's such a big deal, Adam, is we've shifted, and, and we've talked about this many times, I, I think I talked in the last show, is we've moved from basically capitalism to creditism because we consume vastly more than we produce in the United mm -hmm. States so we have to fund it. So by, by creditism, instead of having savings and they're put into productive assets, we have to borrow and create credit. And how do you create credit? And how do you create it at enough rate? And we've been fortunate because foreigners have been buying our debt. Well, that's slowing. Russia sold all its debt. China's slowing. Japan can't buy as much anymore. That's putting pressures on us. And, and that leads to the, the collateral because when you have the bonds are, are stable, this goes back to my risk duration premiums. When they're stable, you don't have the volatility in it. The collateral is worth more. You get value at risk now is a real problem for many, many people. I don't, I don't want to read really into more of the detail here. I don't want to lose anybody. But the, the issue is collateral. We do not have enough collateral out there new collateral because collateral can only be created by growing it building it or mining it you can't print the stuff right it's got to be it's got to be real and, and here just to get one more technical point in here we we've been creating games with collateral for so things called rehypothecation where corporations and, and banks don't even know the value of the collateral because it's being pledged multiple times on an international scheme so you have a car, for example, uh, they hold the car, you got the title, but the collateral is the car, they'll seize the car. So they got to make sure that when they seize it, the car is actually worth more than the debt. Well, what happens if that car collateral has been pledged to six or seven other companies that are using it on their books? So suddenly that car's taken back. Oh, well, who's got, well, the first person got the claim, well, the rest have to take it off their book. I mean, a little too simplistic, but when you get into financial instruments, that's what's going on. And they're playing all sorts of games with swaps and, 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 and collateral transformations. I can, I can go on with the games to buy collateral while the gig is getting up. So you're seeing the TED spread, the FRA, OIS all going up, which says banks don't trust other banks. So they're willing to put their money over in reverse repos overnight at these rates because they trust the, the, the Fed's collateral. So that's the that's the stemming of this issue. And, and go back to the bigger picture. You know, there's a glacier. It's happening. And it's happening in real time. And it may go on. But it's like a, a snowflake on a mountain. What creates the final avalanche? Something triggers it. And boom, it starts to, starts to come down very rapidly. 
Wow, Gordon, you gave me like five full interviews worth of topics um, in your answers so far to date. Um, this is great. Um, so, you know, again, it's it's. I hope it's, I didn't bore my bore the audience with the details. No, no, this is this, this is all this fantastic. Is you have to understand, or I'm telling you, you're going to lose. You're going to lose a lot of money. That's why we don't. Even with what we know, we don't chase that last five percent. Just let it go. Yeah, that's that's the the nickels in front of the steamroller, right? It's just the return is not worth the risk. It isn't worth the risk. You know what is worth the risk? When this reversing goes down, it's going down hard and fast and deep. Okay, and you may not be on board, but you're better to try and get on when it starts it starts to happen, and it starts to go down. And here's the killer on this: even when that happens, we're going to hit a bounce and it's going to go back up as they we get into. Uh, hyperinflation as we print more money because it's the only solution these politicians know how to do is liquidity, Keynesian pump more money. We'll turn around and we'll and it'll start to shoot back up. It'll be violent counter counter rally, violent. Even though I'm talking a little point down. All right, um, and maybe we're getting a little bit ahead of the discussion here, but um, so you're saying, look, right now, everyone's immediate term optimistic. Um, given the party and the markets, you, you think that's not going to last very long. You think we are going to have a, a very hard landing, uh, very different from the soft landing narrative that we're hearing right now. You said we're going to enter, really, deflation is going to take the, the, the wheel in that world. Um, it will, we'll have this period where there'll be cross currents and in inflation and deflation, where you said the things that we need are going to be going up in price. But it, it's going to feel like a like a bad, painful recession. Um, the policy response to that, when it gets deep and dark enough, you're saying is going to be turning on the liquidity spigots, which is really the only playbook the central banks have, and that's going to give us another massive sugar rush. Um, if I've if I've correctly described your outlook so far, um, I assume you're thinking that that sugar rush, uh, however long it lasts. Um, will not be sustainable. In other words, you, you'll probably end up, you know, practically destroying the purchasing power of the currency in the process of that, and then perhaps something even worse will unfold after that. Eventually, eventually, but that's still a long ways out. People write about it, but it's, you know, that's that's a, a little a little too far out um, for us really to to uh, to worry about right okay. now. But, but did I get the general arc of the major? Yeah, exactly. The, the major economic is, issues that we're going into stagflation, that we're going to see a debt crisis, that we're going to see hyperinflation, are they're going to happen. The, the question is when and what is going to be the amplitude and, which and the sequence in which they're going to go in. We're in stagnation now. We're going to go to stagflation. We're going to go to debt crisis, and then we'll go, we'll go into um, a hyperinflation. How long is that going to take? We, we're of the mind. We believe we're in a beta drought decade for the rest of this decade, for the rest of the next, for the next eight years, seven to eight years, that that's what we're in. And the, the falling in the market is actually going to be projected out over that number of years. And these stages will unfold at different stages with, with, within that. But that doesn't mean we won't have, as I said, major counter rallies. The people will say we have a new bull market and go back up. Maybe we get a double to all time double top in the middle of that sort of thing, or an end top, a rounded top. Um, and this could be the beginnings of that right side, the external part of the M, M top right now. I don't think so. I think we're still in the internal before we get another lift and then and down. Because what's what's happening 
And we've mapped it actually in our recent thesis paper, which is available on our site free or to download, that, um, that as we go through those, um, those, um, those stages, um, that the, the overlap of the equity markets almost mirrors perfectly what we see as the, the reduction in the standard of living, at least in American and developed, uh, developed worlds, as measured as against as disposable income against net worth. And that's at an all-time high. And for it to come down in its graphs, it's, it's amazing how they mirror with the S&P. And now we, we laid that out in, our, in, again, our thesis paper we just had out. And, and it, it maps it out over eight to 10 years. So there's no need to be in a hurry on certain things. Um, but, to, to, but to get the trend right. Okay, um, great. Well, look, um, uh, bringing it back to um, kind of what may be the next trigger here that we need to pay attention to, um, I want to I get back to something that you were saying about Janet Yellen and uh, the excessive extreme measures she's using at the, the, the Treasury right now. Um, okay. And you basically talked about the TGA, the Treasury General Account, which is basically sort of like the Treasury draining its savings account just to keep things liquid here, to keep yields under control. Um, but there's a th th there's a finite end to what's in there, right? And um, I believe... Precisely, and that's a major point. Yeah, and I believe that kind of at like sort of current rates, that, that kind of gets drained by around August, September-ish or so. So in other words, if we don't have that political resolution that you, you think we'll eventually have to the debt ceiling debate um, in place by around then, then things can get a little funky. Is that accurate? Yeah, yes. Uh, I don't believe for one moment it'll get that far um, into the August. She runs out of money in, in June, but she can do the other things, as you correctly point out, that could take it to August, maybe even September. I think, they'll, I think they will settle and increase the debt limit um, probably with some budget reductions and a two-year balance plan um, that'll appease the one side of the Republican Party. Dem meanwhile, the Democratic Party really got all the money they wanted out to, for the programs they have, and they'll and they'll move on from there. But it'll the the, the we we as investors just need to know. Okay, that's what's going to go on between now and the spring. Don't don't get excited about it. Okay. As markets stay stay elevated because there's a lot of liquidity out there. Got it. Uh, so this will be the liquidity will be market supported while it's still able to be continued here. Now That's you've said that you, you've said that historically the debt ceiling drama has kind of roiled markets when it's happened in the past. I think you noted both 2011 and 2013, volatility began spiking and all that all that stuff. Do you expect a repeat of that here? Like could 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 all the drama around the debt ceiling as it hits its crescendo um, and Janet Yellen stops, uh, you know, eventually is able to stop what she's doing with the, the TGA. Um, could that be a trigger here? If she, sorry, if she stopped, like she means she runs out of money or? Well, um, no, I, so let me re-ask the question, which is um, historically as the drama has ramped up, market volatility has ramped up in the past. Right. Do you expect the same to happen this time around? No, not really. Um, it, it, they'll be a little anxious. It'll be neck uh, um, headlines. I don't think it'll be it'll be that way. Um, it, it, it'll it'll capture some. I don't think it'll be as dramatic 
Uh, there'll be points where all of a sudden it's dominating the news and we'll have these spikes in the interest rates. All right. Um, but uh, no, I don't, I don't, I think, I think there's too many people that are, have the best interest in solving the problem, both the Democrats and the Republicans, frankly. Okay. Well, then, remember, then how, remember, remember all these bills got through the Senate, which is a split, which means there were Republicans that were voting for it too. So, right. so uh, there's a, um, I think the biggest disruptor, to be honest, Adam, is how much money we're going to need for Ukraine that we're going to be pumping out to Ukraine and how that might, they, that might be the wild card that comes out of nowhere right now. You know, and they sneak in 10 billion here, 10, I think we're over what, 108 billion now. Uh, th these are pretty, pretty big numbers now in the debt ceiling um, and the and especially with the rates that we're now paying. So that's an issue. And the bigger sh other shock is the obvious one that you mentioned earlier, interest rates, you know, we're stabilizing at three and a half. We start to get a, a but that's debt, that interest on the debt, which is now approaching our dispose, our, our discretionary spending limit. Great. That, that's um, where I wanted to take this. So keep going. Yeah. How how so, big so, of a it, limiter is that going to be here? That it that is a limit, because if the if they let if these rates get out of out of the bound the boundary conditions that they're managing them in, I think it's four percent on the higher end. On the ten, on a higher end of the rates at, on a ten-year bond, if we start to push four percent on that ten-year, all, all all hands on deck. That's a problem. And right now we get up, we bang at it. We got a little higher a while ago, and it got her down real quick. You seem to want to hover around three point five, um, that kind of stable, because you have to get into the, the what's happening longer term with with this post-moderation um, era that we're in, because I just point here bared with me um adam sure right we we've come through 10 years where we basically had zero bound rates but we had inflation really relatively mild they couldn't get it over to 1.2 so therefore we had negative 1.2 percent rates that is what you need for what they call financial repression which has worked beautifully and has been hidden in there helping reduce the really the cost of that debt the problem mm -hmm. we now face is the growth is 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 going to have to be higher to me to be able to get that kind of support that kind of inflation rate because inflation is going to probably come down into the uh the, let's say five percent or four percent range the rates have to stay in around 3.8 on a five percent to get that negative 1.2 which is they're really after on real rates so the what the net hits here is they've got to figure out how to get the growth up to support a higher inflation rate um, that gets them the negative real rate, not what you pay, the negative real rate that drives what they call financial repression. So how do they do that? And that is the core issue. And they, and, they, and they have a way of doing it. And that's why we're moving towards what we call a regulatory state. Because instead of the central banks, just to net it out, instead of the central banks being the creator of credit and this issue with collateral, because money has to be borrowed into debt. I, you know, that, that's a whole discussion is a fact. We're moving to the point where government is going to be the creator of debt or creator of credit. And you say, what are you talking about? This is the new form of financial repression. We call repression three that's coming. And how they're going to do it is the government's going to, as they always do, guarantee credit, guarantee debt. They call it contingent liabilities. And we've been doing it for years. In the government, but they're going to start to do that. It's like I, it's, it's like what we're doing with um, 
uh, with Ukraine right now? How much money are we actually giving them or versus how much money are we guaranteeing their debt as a contingent liability on our book so that they can lend from American banks to buy the equipment from American military industrial complex? But it's a contingent liability. Mm-hmm. And so they can create credit that way. And that's what we're moving to. And to do that, you're a regulatory state. And that's the only way they can drive up through programs to get this GDP up at a higher rate. That, that's a whole show in itself, by the way. Uh, I Adam, was just going to say. <laughs> that's a big discussion. <laughs> but yeah, it, but as, as is the whole discussion of financial repression, because I'm not sure everybody really understands what you mean by that, that, that concept. And um, basically, it's just a way in which the, the, the government really tries to sort of ring fence the economy uh, to do what it wants it to do. And um, you might have an even better simple way to explain that, that Gordon, but um, it, uh, it is a big topic. It has a lot of repercussions for not just the country, but for individual investors as well. They need to understand it. Um, but to your point, I think we need a full one of these sessions to really go into it. And folks, if you're interested in that, let me know in the comments section below. And if so, we'll make sure that we have Gordon back on to just do a deep dive into financial repression. Um, uh, Gordon, I hate to do this, but I, I, I got to move the, the conversation on because we're beginning to run out of time here. And I want to get, obviously, to your market outlook and, and how you are positioning for you know, what you see coming along. And, 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 I, and I, I believe if I'm summarizing correctly, you are saying, look, um, this current mania in the markets may last a good a good deal longer. Uh, there's good reasons to believe it could go on for another quarter or two. Um, maybe I don't know if you think longer than that or not, but let's say quarter or two. But then you think that the the laws of physics are, are going to win out in the end, and all that terrible macroeconomic data that you and I were were mentioning earlier uh, is is actually going to matter, and the markets are going to have to reprice those the deep recession, the hard landing is going to happen. Uh, the deflation you're warning about really starts to emerge in a big way. Um, if, if you're looking at all that happening in the next, over the course of 2023, spilling into 2024, you tell me, how are you positioning for that now? Uh, we see, But we see it unfolding, as you say, through our recapping through uh, through the, this year. We'll be into the deflationary, hard deflationary in the second half of this year, current, current believing, our current beliefs. We think that the our, our original equity target on the upside, um, this is what they call an A, B, C down, A down, rebound up on a B and then a, a C, and usually that A and that C are, are equal. Um, we felt that the B up would take us to somewhere around on the S&P 4,200, maybe 4,300. That's the range we're in right now. So if it's gonna go higher, mm, we're, we're a little skeptical, but it, 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 it could. It, very much so. But then we're going our way down, and we think that's going to take us down to maybe 3,200. We've had 3,170 for a long time. Maybe it could be as low, as high as 3,500. Then we bounce back up. And that bounce back up, end of this year, going into next year, um, will be as we stop quantitative tightening. Um, that will end, uh, that we start to reduce rates. We'll have the pivot. We'll start to put it, put it back in. If inflation um, isn't rebounding. Um, and, and then that'll start to drive the markets up. What will slow it quickly is reflate inflation has not gone away. It comes in three waves. Energy wave, we'll see it. Food wave, we, we've got three more waves of that. And we did history going back to World War I, overlaying um, all of this um, 
Adam, and consistently you see it. And when, when you get over what we call 5%, historically, over a 5% in a sustained fashion on inflation, the ramifications of that that go through the, the, the economies start to show that because inflation is very sticky, it usually goes in both three waves. It may not be three waves, but it goes in waves, mm-hmm. kind of like COVID. And uh, and those and those waves will uh, will be will push back inflation and away we'll go. We'll have this volatility, and suddenly the the whole issues with um, more quantitative easing aren't working. They're working against us. So it'll be this mix up in monetary policy. But the way they'll fix it is just hyperinflation. They'll they'll print in some fashion. They'll print the money and print the money is. I got to be really careful. People don't misunderstand. They start guaranteeing credit. They start guaranteeing in a big fashion, and that's a shift in 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 how the the government will start to start to work. And, and do you think that the sort of an you know the unveiling of that era you know more visibly will be a key milestone towards the the reflation? Yes, I do. Right. Okay. Yes. So, so, so you'll be looking for that, basically. We are looking for it, and I can tell you right now, there are a lot of very large, smart money managers out there that see that on the see that on the horizon too, and are are going to be looking at it because uh, we we we're all we've been doing it for a long time. We haven't institutionalized it for, to the extent uh, that we have, and I I say that we because we focus this conversations on the national debt. It's thirty one point four. Trillion theoretically, it's not thirty-one point four trillion dollars. We have sixty-four trillion dollars in unfunded liabilities associated with Social Security, right. Medicare, Medicaid, and, and disabilities, et cetera. Sixty. Who's funding that? It's all in our paper. It's got to be funded. How are we going to do that? Print more money? Mm, big problem. But so, and that's coming due. That is that is really frightening in how we handle it. And there's ways that theoretically can be handled. What frightens us more is something called the fiscal gap. And this is this contingent liability. What we've been doing, um, and I'll wrap it up here, uh, Anna, but what we've been doing for decades with foreign aid is using contingent liability. We guarantee Egypt uh, $100 billion or whatever the number is in foreign aid. We don't give it to them. We just guarantee their debt. They take it from American bank. They pay high rates on it. And as long as they keep playing the fig, we never just stays on our books as a contingent liability. They default. Right. And if they default, we get their collateral, right? We get the, well, we don't secure the collateral. <laughs> That's the problem. But we, we get the debt and suddenly it's on our books as, 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 okay. as, a, as a charge. Now, having said that, right now, what, what China's doing with the Belt and Road Initiative they're lending trillions in foreign aid, but they get the they have it collateral and they have it they have it on the books, so they seize the airports, they seize the, right. the country, in all these countries. The problem with that, and I'll just last closing comment, is they say to the 144, 138 commodity countries around the world that they're putting together into a commodity uh, quasi cartel is they're saying all that American debt that you have, we'll we'll pick it up. So it forces these countries to say, well, are we going to be aligned with China and Russia? Right. And, and they'll say, ah, what's the problem? We'll default on our American debt because we're going to get it from China. Right. And if it only takes two or three percent, because you know what the uh, our fiscal gap is? Two hundred and twelve trillion dollars. 
I'm not exaggerating. Which is the same thing as saying it'll never be, that gap will never be closed. Never. But yeah. 2% or 1% or 3% disruptive with geo current geopolitical is a problem. That's the stuff that we don't know about. And the moment it starts to move is when you'll see markets move because there are people, trust me on this, Adam, watching this like a, like a tiger okay. on, its, on its prey. Wow. So you, you mentioned another great topics there too. We're going to have to have you back on um, one of which you've written about in some of your recent reports is this sort of new OPEC-like cartel around commodities outside of, of oil, right? Um, and that's going to be a massive thing for the West to have to learn how to live with after having enjoyed, you know, cheap access to commodities forever, really. Until the petrodollar failing, because Saudi Arabia is pulling out of the petrodollar deal. That's what got us out of the 70s when Kissinger orchestrated and uh, Nixon orchestrated that deal. They're, they're a lot, it's not going away, but it's going to dramatically fall. That's setting it up for the OPEX to do, for us to have a commodity alignment. Remember, the 138 countries around the world are dependent on their primary export of commodities, and they don't get paid for it because of a strong U.S. dollar. And they they're and they're angry about it, and they want want some help. Yeah. So and this is this... our fiscal gap problem. Yeah. So th there's a whole hour discussion on just that alone. But it is a key takeaway from that, Gordon, is that we should plan. We should set our expectations just for sort of secularly higher commodity prices going forward because of A, the pricing power of the cartel and B, that we're going to have more international competition for those than we we had to deal with in the past, say, 50 plus years. Correct. Matter of fact, you asked me what our, what our investment strategies are. Right now, we're basically more or less neutral, if not in bonds, but our strength, what we have been playing very much longer term is the, is the whole realm of commodities at various levels. We think we think hard assets as measured in the commodities, especially if you, you're laying your money in US dollars, um, is a strong area to give a lot of consideration to. It's going to be highly volatile. So have a, you know, like things like gold, 25%, 30% corrections, normal. Yep, have an iron stomach. And so when you are, are playing, uh, I should say playing, but when you're positioning into commodities, uh, are you owning more of the commodities themselves or are you owning, you know, the producers, the explorers, the distributors? Great question. The supply chain. Right, right from the raw producers, depending on the countries and the commodities, up to how it's how it's eventually traded and how it's moved. There's it's into even into shipping and how it's moved, whether it can stay in the countries. The whole investment of a shift from now. We're moving away from web-oriented companies, call it web two to web three. The Amazons, the Facebooks, all these technology companies are going to be around, but they're not the play anymore. Uh, you know, that that play that we're in a different world where it's it's monetary driven and what's real value in the store of value. And it's not as simple as saying, oh, I got to be in hard assets. It's commodities and a type of commodities. Food. Food is another commodity, soft commodities. What type of food? How's it processed? The, these are these are where the we believe we believe, and I you know I don't give investment advice. I'm just telling you what we do. Um, we spend a lot of time tearing apart this now. Well, and and when we see corrections, we add our, add to our position. Okay, great. And my guess is, and you correct me if this is wrong. Given the error that we're in, um, which is an error that's much better suited to active investing. Um, I assume you're you're more like 
pouring over individual companies and trying to find the best players in each of these spaces versus just buying a sector ETF and, and letting it ride that way? You can't, no, the days of the days that we've had of just getting the right ETFs are, are, are over. Let me, I'll come back to that, are over. It's about, it's about money managers picking stocks, stock pickers, picking sectors, understanding them and drilling down and being able to uh, par pair it apart. So picking your money manager who really understands this is absolutely critical. I believe that that will eventually start to move into the whole different types of ETFs will be offered. Okay, and, and it won't take long before people will start to figure that out. But if you've got a good money manager and is helping you manage it, that whole trend as that unfolds and any more capital, how you transition is, is still in the future. So you, what you need is a good money manager a good research analyst is the kind of people where that's not us. We don't do, we're, we're private, um, but uh, you need to find people that are, that are doing that. All right. Well, look, my, the, the wealthy on recommended financial advisors are going to send you a massive fruit basket uh, in the mail there. Cause you just made a great uh, commercial for why finding a good advisor is so important in this market. Um, well, look, I hate to wrap it up here. There's so many questions I didn't get to. Um, but Gordon, we'll have you back on again as soon as we can. Um, I'm sure we're going to get a lot of comments uh, below people saying, get them on ASAP. Um, real quick, there is one question I just got to ask. Um, so in your recent writings, you were, you've referred to the current, you know, I'm going to call it excessive euphoria in the markets as, quote unquote, children playing with matches. Um, and I've seen you say that several times. So I wanted to give you a chance to opine in any way you like on that comment before we just wrap things up here. Yeah, the keywords not matches. The keyword is children. Uh, we have too many people that have not seen tough times in credit. Markets, markets follow the currency markets. They follow the credit markets. They follow the bond markets. Equities like the tail on the on the end of the dog. And, and we have too few people that only pay attention to the charts on the equity markets and they're up and down and what's the VIX. And that, that's what I mean by children. Just you have to understand all the markets, how they work, how they're dynamic. And if you can do that, you're not playing with matches. You're, you're investing. And right now I would say they're, they're not matches. They're, there's a difference between investing um, uh, and gambling. And we have uh, too many people out there who are, are gamblers and you don't, that's not investing. And it's not sadly sadly we've sort of trained you know the most investors to be speculators at this point because that's what won you know in a post 2010 world where you know the fed was just pumping you know tons of, of liquidity into the system and, and pushing asset prices on a very consistent progression higher and higher and higher every year and you you, you and didn't you bought the dip you didn't fight the fed like we, we we've trained investors to think that way Right. And, and you know, got investors here, you got gamblers here, and in the middle is speculators. And we've we've moved everybody to being a speculator, but really it was investing because as long as the Fed was increasing liquidity, things kept going up. So that, that's called investing. Well, when that changes, it's it's suddenly not only you're not a speculator, you're a gambler now because yeah. you don't know what you don't know what they're going to do or what's going to break it. And and that's the big big shift that's happening. That's why I said earlier. The risk premiums, risk premia in bonds and risk premiums in equities are going up because people don't know the answer to that. So they got a hedge drives up the risk, the risk premiums. 
All right. Well, look, we'll have to leave it there. Um, Gordon, for people that have really enjoyed this conversation and would like to follow you and your work going forward, where can they go? Oh, um, I distribute it um, exclusively through matasi.com, M-A-T-A-S-I-I.com. Um, we actually put out a free weekly newsletter. I, I think you mentioned a couple of times, uh, uh, Adam. It's, it's an excellent free anybody newsletter. Uh, who wants it. Uh, sorry? I said it's an excellent newsletter. I highly recommend everybody sign up for it. It's free, as you're saying. It's free. And uh, we just we we just share our ideas, um, well disclaimed, but there are ideas and our charts. And and we the only reason we do it is it forces us to have a discipline. And we love the feedback we get from around the world, from people who read it, who give us all sorts of information that we weren't aware of. And so if you want it, all we ask is give us some input. That's all we ask for. <laughs> That's a very fair exchange. Um, all right. Well, look, Gordon, thanks so much. I just want to mention a couple quick resources before we end up here. Um, free resources as well. Um, <clears throat> well, actually, one of them is not free. That's the upcoming Wealthy on Conference. Uh, that's going to be Saturday, March 18th. Um, but we are offering the lowest early bird price still. So, folks, if you're interested in learning more about that conference, perhaps registering for it, just go to wealthion.com slash conference. Um, real quick, the roster includes Lacey Hunt, uh, Michael Pento, um, Mark Faber, Daniel DiMartino Booth, uh, Stephanie Pomboy, Rick Rule, uh, Nick Jurley, uh, Doomberg, uh, talking about energy. We've got Craig Wishner, farmland investor. We've got Mike Maloney talking about precious metals. Uh, I think we've got Lucky Lopez uh, talking about the auto market who just recently signed on. Um, I'm probably forgetting a few others, and, and there are a few others that were still lining up for the event. Um, but anyways, to learn more about that, again, go to that wealthion.com slash conference URL. Uh, and then um, I'll be super brief on this because Gordon already made my case for me um, about the importance of, of, of picking a really good financial advisor who understands all of the macro issues and trends that Gordon and I have been talking about here to help you not only put together a good plan for that that's customized to your personal situation, but to be a partner with you in making sure that as new developments are, are happening in here, that they are you know basically evolving that plan to meet the realities that are unfolding in front of us. So um, if you already don't have a great financial advisor to do that for you, um, then uh, consider having a free consultation with the financial advisors that Wealthion endorses. Just go over to Wealthion.com, fill out the short form there. Uh, you'll get a free consultation, free portfolio review from these guys. Doesn't cost you anything. There's no commitment to work with them. It's just a public service that they offer. Um, and if you enjoyed having Gordon on this channel and want to see him back again very soon, please help us out by supporting this channel by hitting the like button, then clicking on the red subscribe button below, as well as that little bell icon right next to it. Gordon, it's just been a pleasure. Thanks so much for giving us again so much of your time and insight today. Thank you very much for having me, Adam. Always enjoy this. Thanks, my friend. Everybody else, thanks so much for watching. Bye-bye. Thank you.